Well, we are going to be talking about becoming a bold believer today. And uh, as the kiddos go downstairs, Miss Ann's got some wonderful things for you. It's always wonderful. I always say that, but it's not just a line. It's fun. It's amazing. By the way, the, the thermostat was set right because downstairs it wasn't ice bricks. So uh, let's give it up for my dad, the thermostat setter back there. You know, I, I just got to tell you some of the stuff that uh, goes on here at church is a lot of stuff. Amen. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. We had Nate here the other day, and he was dangling from a ladder, and he was changing light. Your light back there, by the way. You, you back people back there, you got light under there. You can take good notes. Give it up for Nate, for the ladder man. Lots is going on. But I, I, I want to, first of all, talk. We're gonna, I want to talk about a lot. Uh, but how many of you need some more boldness in your life today? I mean, you need some more boldness in your life today. I think we're too quiet, don't you? It's coming from the loud mouth here. But, uh, but I think we're too quiet in things. I think we slack back. And I, I see some people stepping out. And I, I just wanted to recognize some of that that's going on. Because I think we get into the mix of church and everything happening. And uh, we don't, uh, don't get a chance to celebrate and see what's going on. And Nate's going to punch me afterwards. But Nate's just started this Bible study in school. We need to pray for boldness for him in the coming weeks. Uh, as did it just start a little bit ago, or started Thursday. so here here at Harlem is it middle school or high school? Harlem Middle School. I had a girl that just moved here from Indiana, not too many friends, and she's really stepped out and uh, for the Lord. And uh, it just it was just her and I, and uh, her mom was there, and her mom went to school, and uh, it was a good time, and it was uh, a good way to start it. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Nate will be praying for boldness for that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's going to be amazing as God puts you before these people and these teachers and uh, you're able to have a huge impact on um, a place that needs the gospel. Uh, I got it. Ashley, it's amazing how she's kind of stepped up in boldness and now she sits on the board at what? I'm going to mess it all up. Rockford Pregnancy Care Center. So you're part of the Student Council Advisory Board, right? Did I say that all right? So here she just really felt led to do that, and so she's a part of a group of how many? Eight, uh, eight youth uh, in the community to be a part of the uh, Rockford Pregnancy Care Center's Student Advisory Board. Guys, there's, there's some really neat things. I apologize, we don't know everything going on here, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's neat to see people stepping out in their bold faith. Um, why don't you turn uh, quickly to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to learn a little bit about a man named Elijah. First Kings 18, verses 20 through 29, someone once said, Boldness is our willingness to venture out and do the right things at the right time, regardless of the barriers or fears that we may encounter. I want you to know today that every one of us obviously faces fear. If I were to say the opposite of bold, boldness is fearfulness. I, the, the, they're, they're, they're two separate things. And... Um, for boldness to come into our life, it's going to have to be a willingness to venture out and do some things. And so we can't sit around plucking a heart, waiting for God to do something because God wants to use you. There's this weird thing that God decides to do is he works through people and individuals. God will not come down in a cloud and start fixing problems in our life. He uses our voice. 
He uses our, he fills our spirit and, and gives us the abilities to go through it. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see a huge problem. And the nation was filled with Baal worship. The people had worshipped many idols. Um, and were involved in all sorts of sin, dealing with King Ahab and Jezebel. And 1 Kings 18, 20 through 29 so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Isn't it neat how there's a line drawn in the sand? Jesus will always do this with us. He'll make us uncomfortable because we have to make a choice. Jesus said to the disciples, Come and follow me. He told the rich young ruler, hey, leave everything you've got and come follow me. There's a choice that at some point in our lives that we've got to make. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to have to make some choices. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces and lay the wood on the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. How many know you need some boldness in this moment? And all the people agreed. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are too many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bowls and placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced and hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or asleep and needs to be wakened. I love Elijah, don't you? I love that stuff. I love it. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. And they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound and no reply and no response. And then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. That's a lot of, that's a lot of water. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. And so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull and the wood and the stones and the dust. It even looked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down to the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down in Kishon Valley and killed them there. Wow! 
I want us to deal in three areas that all of us have conflicts with. Bold faith, bold prayers, and bold speech. And bold faith for our life doesn't come because we're saying, well, I recite a few more prayers, and I read the Bible really good, and I memorize some things, and I'm going to get faith, I'm going to get more faith, and I'm going to get more faith. Do you know that faith in and of itself is a gift from God? In other words, you can't manipulate it. You can't manipulate faith. You can't say, kind of like a bending thing, and say, well, I'm going to go grab this, and I'm going to get this because I I did this. And faith is a gift from God, so you can't manipulate faith that way. You can't talk of faith that way. Faith, by the way, is built upon one thing, the character and the nature and the ways of God. If Jesus Christ, I never see a miraculous act, I never see anything, it doesn't make God any less God today, does it? Because I know the character of God, and you know the character of God. Bold faith. Say, so, well, how do I develop bold faith then? Do you know, I really believe that bold faith starts to happen as you start to rely on the character of God, you start to have a faith. Because if you're not sure of your faith, how on earth are you going to be sure of your faith with someone else? I mean, if you're not confident in your walk with God, why would you expect the person that you want to have God to be confident in their walk with God, right? Can I get an amen? I love it with new believers because new believers don't have any quote of the disciplines us mature believers have, but yet they're excited because they've had an encounter with Christ and they can go explain their faith to God and say, hey, listen, dude, I just had a crazy encounter. I was here. I was involved with drugs and all this kind of stuff. And God saved me from that. Amen. That person doesn't need to know anything else. They had an encounter with Christ. And today I am telling you that as you start to develop the disciplines in your life, I love what this verse of Scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.7. You don't have to turn there. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. God has not given you a spirit of fear today. If there is an area in your life where you're afraid, God didn't put that fear in you. The devil put that fear there. Didn't get an amen there. So if you're afraid about something today, that's not from the Lord. He didn't give you that spirit. Do you know one thing in 2018, if I'll say, I I don't like all the quips and banners, you know, we need to come up with a generic one for 2018. What, What should we say? I don't even know what rhymes with 2018 anymore. Anyway, we should learn to expect victory and not defeat this year. That would be a good thing to start with. You know, Elijah, when he went up to this, and I love how he sets it up, he said, let's see whose God is real. Folks, one thing that you're going to do in realizing your life and your example and your walk with God and your faith and the bold confidence that you start to develop in your life and my life is that people will start to see that, wait a second, this person is different than me. My life is different. If your life is looking like that life of the person that's a heathen, living like the world and walking and talking like the world, we've got faith problems, don't we? Discipleship is this. To be a Christian means that you today are signing up to be discipled of God. Self-discipline. The only sign of a believer, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all those all those, those fruits. But a sign of a true Christian, a true believer, is not going to church, but it's someone willing to be disciple. 
I'll do little advertisements here going this year. If you are not opening your Bible, I'm concerned for you. If you are not praying, what that tells me about you and your spirit is that you are filled with self-confidence and not with God-confidence. You are walking around this life thinking that you can do this stuff on your own, and that scares me. Turn to someone and say, I'm scared. <laughs> and for us to have a spirit like Elijah, this place in history, for us to have that kind of knowledge of God and that kind of understanding. By the way, I don't suggest you start setting up out in the middle of the marketplace in downtown Rockford and set up an altar to God and then start you know, putting, getting on a soapbox. That was a word from the Lord that Elijah had been given. So he just didn't think of this idea to do in a game to play with the people of the world, did he? So when you come into your life and your walk with God, if you are not saying, I, don't, I want to be discipled, then I have a hard time grappling with even your very faith in Christ. I challenge you this year to do things different in your faith. Because if you're wanting to develop discipline then you've got to get around people who have been disciplined. Not to be talking about him, because he don't like me talking about my son. He comes with me to Bible study. And the reason he comes with me to Bible study at the age of 14, he is more than competent and capable of walking in structure to his faith that God has given him. And I want some men with gray hair teaching my son. Can I get an amen? amen. I don't want guys who are getting tripped down the road dealing with the same problems and the same issues that have nothing to speak to his life. I don't want his friends speaking into his life. I want brave men speaking into his life. I want him developing discipline. I want him having boldness in his faith. I want my children to have boldness in their faith. I want to have boldness in my faith. And do you know what I can extrapolate from? Is this, is that when I look at men in my life, my dad, and I can look at Jim, and I can look at Dennis, I can look at Monty, I can look at all these types of men that are surrounding me. I can tell you that they've been somewhere, and I can tell you that they have marks all over their Bible. Now that I say 
Marriage is between one man and one woman. Is now cutting edge for some reason. Isn't that nuts? And that the Christians now feel scared to even say, God has instituted one man and one woman to procreate and fill the earth and be a blessing when he said, between Adam and Eve, and that's cutting edge. Isn't that absolutely nuts to you? We lack boldness in our display. Because we're undisciplined. We don't know our Bible. If you're going to spend the next year not reading your Bible, then don't ask for boldness. If you choose this year to continue down the humanistic ideas of your life, and you continue to build and surround yourself with people full of opinions of the world and of the culture, and you refuse to humble yourself and say that, God, I am going to subject my life to your bending. I'm going to bend my will to your will. Break me if you have to, but God, I want this word to pierce my heart. If you don't choose to do that, then you can't ask for boldness. But now, on the good side, I want to say, please give me some good news here. <laughs> on the good side, if you choose to submit yourself in the Word of God and draw a circle around and say, no matter what the culture goes after, no matter what the world's saying, no matter what the headlines are, no matter what it is, you can chase all that. You can say, I'm going to go to the left or the right, but I will know what direction to go. You can be as bold as a lion. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. Have you ever seen a lion slack off from a fight? No. We're afraid to fight. You know, the Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. Folks, I do love a good fight. I do. Growing up, I used to love to watch Mike Tyson fight. It was amazing watching that guy fight. A good ten-round fight. You know, the Bible says, cast off every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So you come into a bold faith moment and you start to learn the word of God and you start to rightly divide the word of truth, you start to develop a bold confidence. It's not a confidence based on you going to speech class. It's not a confidence going from you knowing everything about everything. It's simply knowing that you can trust the word of God and give someone and display the faith that God has given to you because you have developed self-discipline. You've developed godly disciplines. Some of the godly disciplines, I would dare say, and we'll never get away from it. We always want to add to it or have some kind of little thing we, that's cute for it, that makes it popular and relevant. Folks, it will always be relevant. Read your Bible and pray. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. Get into Bible study. If you don't know anything about your Bible and things are frustrating, start getting around people and start asking questions. Men, get to the dang men's Bible study. Turn around and say, get to the men's dang Bible study. Women, make some time. Nobody's got time. Get around some good men. This isn't about you. We can't expect victory. Why would you expect victory? Why would I expect victory? Jack Hayford writes, we may expect victory, by the way, over the powers of darkness. 
This isn't about winning arguments necessarily. Because you might have some of the best evidences and things like that and people will still disbelieve, won't they? Jesus himself talking to the Pharisees. They're like, well, show us some kind of miracle. And you said, the miracles wouldn't even change your heart because your heart is hardened. We are assigned to do business as, as authorized representatives of the Lord until he returns. Isn't that amazing? We are authorized representatives. Today, if you called on the name of Christ, you are an authorized representative. You are an ambassador. You might not look at yourself as an ambassador, but you have got all the markings of being an ambassador for Jesus. Isn't that just an amazing thing? You have the robe of righteousness when you stand before God you have all the markings of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple isn't having these things, these acclamations, so to speak. You become a disciple the moment you call upon the name of the Lord and allowing Him to work for you or work through you. We're promised the Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom that is to supply us with peace and power. Dominion over every evil has been given. You know what I like to call it? And you're not going to like this. But just like Elijah, you say, well, how do I get into the fight like Elijah did? Spiritual warfare. I learned spiritual warfare at a very young age. I've said this before, but it was one of the things that the Lord had me leading and going to, a fighting battle. What, how can I fight a battle like Elijah did? How can I learn to be like Elijah? And the one thing that you can start to do is realize that there's spiritual warfare going on around you. Here's where the evangelical church lies, though. Nobody in the evangelical church wants to talk about the demons and the demonic, do we? Charles Kraft asked an evangelical pastor the following question. If demons do exist, would you rather know or not know? And he answered, as probably many evangelicals would, he said, I'd rather not know. What a sad commentary, because the Holy Spirit lives within us. You'd rather not know. And what the world is dealing with is darkness. I remember when I was a teenager, I started reading This Present Darkness. Anybody ever read that book by Frank Preddy? It came out in like 91 or 92. One of the greatest, it was a fiction novel, but it really gave a really good example of what spiritual warfare is. In fact, today, if you really want to read, you love reading and you want to read a good example of how spiritual warfare works, it's an awesome book. It's called This Present Darkness. You can look it up by Frank Preddy. You'll read it and you won't be able to put it down. It's beautiful. But if you refuse... To go under, if you go under the assumption that I would rather not know what's going on and you're not going to engage in spiritual warfare, then you're losing out on every victory that God wants to give to you. One thing I learned in my home, in bold faith, everything from the times when my brother went through his issues and my mom would deal with spiritual warfare. Let me tell you something you start to realize that there's demonic going on when beds are shaking. Can I get an amen? You start to realize that there's more to this world than what we see with the natural eye. And psychologists, how they frame things and look at things, they forget the dynamic of the spiritual warfare concept. Dear parents, if your children are going through hard concepts, don't just subjugate them to the doctors and everything else. I want to introduce to you the great doctor who will give you great power and a wealth of wisdom to fight through the battles that your children are going through. But I saw a mom who saw more. 
And even when I was a young one, getting the crazy vision of a demon in my own room. And let me tell you something, they're really ugly. And they're very real. And I had to, in that moment, get some bold faith. And I'd love to tell you that right when I saw it, I went like this, and I was happy, but I sweat, and I sweat, and I laid there. I would put the blankets over my head, and I would lay there, and I would look again, and I would still see it looking at me, this werewolf-looking figure. And I would realize that this thing is not going away. And if we evangelicals are going to play the church game, without engaging the spiritual dimension, which is spiritual warfare, which we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? But one thing that my mom's bold faith taught me was that the name of Jesus, demons flee. And I noticed my spiritual power at 12 years old when I stood up and I walked over to that werewolf and I said, I kick you in the butt in the name of Jesus. And I never saw him again. And he better not come back to my room again. Because it won't be devil butt kicking. It will be, I will break his neck. Come on. See, you and I today are afraid. Because we're not expecting victory. And I can know because of how we talk. And I know because our minds take us down the path of least resistance. And I know because we talk about all these pleasantry things in church, but we don't dive in to the spiritual boldness and the victory that God has already guaranteed for us. Spiritual warfare. Why don't you turn real quick and see what Jesus did for his disciples? Because yes, Jesus died on the cross. And yes, Jesus did all the work. But the work didn't stop, did it? Luke chapter 9. Have you ever noticed Jesus worked with demon-possessed people? We always think that that's some kind of like weird thing. We started dealing with demonic situation and spiritual strongholds when we were in Poplar Grove, and we started realizing that there were some spiritual forces, and we realized that in Boone County alone, in the early 2000s, that there were over three covens that were around the area in those, in those territories where they would offer animal sacrifices to those areas and they would commit those places. And people, Christians go, well, what do we do with that? I'll tell you what you do with that. You bless that area in the name of Jesus. And you figure out what that territorial spirit is and you take it down. <laughs> with us in our church, what we need to realize is that in this area, have you noticed when you drive into certain towns and areas where towns just feel different than other towns? 
You can just drive in there and just sense that, okay, this place is dealing with things and whatever it might be, you might have a spirit of poverty and you might have whatever it is that's going on in that place. But that's where the Christian is supposed to be. I love it that God, when he flings us, he flings us towards the gates of hell and he says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. What does that mean? That means we're invading hell, folks. Isn't that the crazy thing? We're going into problems, headstrong into them. Actually, let's rule Luke 10. Now, the Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus picked more than 12? So that means like the 72 were also healing? What's going on here with our theology? I thought all the healings and stuff stopped with the 12 disciples. I mean, that's what our good old Baptists teach us, right? Come on. Let's get happy in here. It's just true. Oh, now he's got 72. 72 people we don't know about. 72 people who we don't have their name, the James and John, the Andrew, the ones that we think deserve the blessing. No, we've got 72 no-namers that are now doing what Jesus did. All those who know the Lord will do great exploits, Daniel teaches us. So now... We have a replication system, a duplication system, a discipleship system. The problem is our discipleship system has been condensed down to discipleship 101, which is in the back of the sanctuary where you learn the tenets of faith, and that's how we do it. We're not being taught this in the church. today with our gospel? Is this where we sit? Where our spiritual power lies in nothing more than a fire insurance? Is that where we sit? I don't want fire insurance. I want to know the creator and maker of my very life. Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. There are his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Can I get an amen there? So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor traveler's bags, nor extra pair of sandals. And don't stop and greet anyone. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, blessings will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town, it welcomes you. Eat whatever they set before you. By the way, this is what Jesus says to the 72 now. You ready? Verse 9. Heal the sick. And tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show you we've abandoned you to your fate.
Verse 16 says, Then he said to his disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Folks, it is absolutely amazing how Jesus lays it out for these guys, these 72 men now, to continue the work that he has started. These works and greater we shall do. Today, our bold faith must be built upon the idea of discipleship. I do think we need a baptism of boldness. Because the Bible declares that the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Folks, I want to tell you today that you must take some things back that you lost. I don't know what you lost in your courageous faith that God gave to you. But there are some components of it that you are personally going to have to say, I am taking that back from the enemy because he stole that from me. You're going to have to do it yourself. Bold faith requires you to say, you know what, Lord, I lost some things here. Please, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the bold faith that I once had. Restore unto me, God, the ability to go after that, to be discipled, God, to learn your word and to grow. That I have gotten so arrogant in my own knowledge that, God, I forgot that I am supposed to be discipled by you. I love what Elijah does. 1 Kings 18.30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Come near. So all the people came near to him. And it's amazing when we talk about our faith, the first thing Elijah does before he offers a prayer, before he does anything else, is he gets down and he starts repairing the altar that was broken. Folks, I want to tell you today that there might be some broken altars in your life. You don't have to mourn that altar anymore. Stop mourning it. Turn to somebody and say, stop mourning that. Stop crying about that altar. Yes, it was broken, but here's what God gave you. He gave you a mind, and He gave you hands, and He gave you feet to start setting the altar back in place. You don't have to wait for everything to be perfect in your life to set the altar back up. Can I get an amen? Amen. Elijah starts setting the altar up, the 12 stones that represented the promises of the kingdoms that God had placed for Israel. He puts all of it in order, the wood. He builds the trench. He does everything how it's supposed to be. Isn't it interesting how when we start worshiping and chasing after other things, that God's house and our own life start to get kind of pushed in the background because it's not important to us anymore? Folks, I want to tell you today, the temple of God and what God has placed you, maybe this being your home, folks, make this place the place where you invest all your strength and all your energy, the body of believers that God has surrounding you. That's the temple and that's the place that God wants to work in and through your life. It's a beautiful expression of the body of Christ that happens. What lies in ruins in your heart? What lies in ruin around you? You don't have to sit there and say, yep, that's ruin. You know, we can all go around here with a big pad and we can say, oh, that, all this stuff's ruined, right? We can physically look at things that needs fixing. That's part of my problem, even with Sundays. I get here, and Nate knows this because I start getting fidgety, man. I start looking at stuff. My dad knows this. Oh, man, I start getting into that. That's wrong. We've got to fix this, and we've got to fix that. Sometimes you just need to close your eyes from all the outside madness and say, it's okay, we're going to go places. Is your faith in Christ of any value? A.W. Tozer writes this, For the true Christian, the one supreme test for the present soundness 
and ultimate worth of everything religious must be the place our Lord occupies in it. Is he Lord or is he a symbol? Is he in charge of the project or is he merely one of the crew? Does he decide things or only help to carry out the plans of the others? All religious activities may be proved by the answer to the question, is Jesus Christ Lord in this act? Is he a symbol in your life? Or you being a bold as a lion Christian say, God, you are not a symbol. You are in charge of everything going on. Elijah sets the table for God to work. Elijah was showing them how to build the bold faith once again, an unapologetic faith that glorifies and magnifies God. Isn't it interesting he didn't apologize for his faith? Didn't apologize. You know, many times in our lives we feel like, man, we offend someone. Folks, people are going to be offended by your faith. Do you know that? They're going to be offended by the outworkings of your faith. People at work, the conviction and the lifestyle choices that you make. I've heard this before too, but it came out in our conversation. I had one guy who was completely living like the devil and doing his stuff. And I was talking to him about my relationship with Ann and how we had a purity with our relationship that we were going to save uh, premarital sex. We were going to say none of that. We started talking about that, and that was an outworking. Why did I share that? Because that was a part of my testimony and what God had done in and through us, that we're going to remain pure till marriage. Wow, isn't that something? Isn't it funny how people will laugh at that? And I say to the people that laugh at that, yeah, you just keep going to the clinic and dealing with all your sexually transmitted disease and your unwanted pregnancies and all those things, and I'll just keep being my foolish little self. Come on! I'm unapologetic! You can start setting the table now. When we have dinner at night, our girls are in charge of the setting of the table. Emily and Kelsey do a great job. They come in there, they set the table, they go things. But how many of you know you have to learn how to set the table, right? Yeah. You know, if we set the table, you know, you might have a fork over here and a cup upside down in the chandelier or something. But this is how we do it. And I remember my mom even teaching me, okay, Steve, the fork goes on the right side. And I, isn't it neat to have learned those simple little things that we've forgotten about in the world? You know, placemats and all those kinds of things. And you put these things in order and you're setting the table. And I believe that what God does is we set the table for God. And as we prepare our hearts for him, he comes in and he dines with us. And he does an amazing work because we've done the hard work of setting the table for him. Saying, God, I've purified my life. I've humbled myself before you. Now, God, do something great. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be apologizing for that, by the way. Elijah was showing them how to build that bold faith once again, an unapologetic faith that glorifies and magnifies God. Felicity Dale writes, New Christians do not need mere head knowledge. They don't need our Christianity 101 courses. They need to become followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So you know when you start hanging around people that are walking with Christ and breathing Christ and talking about Christ, it's contagious and it rubs off on them and they start to become little Jesuses themselves. They start to talk like him and they start to act like him. But if all you're going to hang around with your life is a bunch of heathens in your life, folks, 
You're going to talk like them. You're going to act like them. You're going to be like them. It was neat. I was over at Marge and Rogers one night, and it was a really cool moment when we were together just expressing the bold faith. And Roger did something. He said, I want to show you something. But before he show you that, he goes, I want you to come in here. I want you to hear my favorite song in the world, my life song. And by the way, that life song wasn't, uh, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> Rolling Stones. And this song, great. I get high a little more with my friends. It's not a life song. So come into the living room. We sat there, and I watched Roger as he sits down. Roger, don't shoot me after I share the story. Puts the song on. It's a really simple song of faith. And Roger closes his eyes. This is a dinner party. You don't do this at dinner parties, right? Takes his glasses off because the tears are falling. So this is my life song. Listen to this. And we sat there quietly. As I started to understand more about the bold faith that he had than anything else in that moment. And I'm telling you today, folks, I got a really good picture of Jesus Christ and Roger in that moment. Amen. Setting the table for you and I requires us to see with the eyes of faith, to hear with the eyes of faith, and to start to get beyond ourselves and our own little pettiness. And I'm all about having a good time. Jesus, by the way, turned water into Kool-Aid, right? Oh no, that was wine. Yeah. Jesus didn't mind having a good time. But Jesus also knew that in those moments, that there were people that needed ministry, and there were people that were hurting, and there were people that needed the very presence of God in, in their life. As new believers spend time with us in the presence of the Father, He will recognize His voice. As she studied the Word with us, she will catch hunger and love for the Word. As He watches us pray with others for the needs to be met, He will gain faith to go and do the same. The important thing is that He or she is constantly pointed to Jesus as the model. Bold prayers. Don't you love sitting around bold prayers? All these heathen prophets are dancing around, trying to get Baal to do something. Said by noon, nothing happened. It is, they spent seven hours dancing around, cutting themselves, and doing all sorts of things, trying to get the attention of their God. I love what Elijah does. He chides them. And I want to tell you that you can chide the enemy today and say, enemy, there is no weapon formed against us whichever prosper. You can try everything in our family, in our life, but you will never have victory here. Mock the enemy. Oh, but he's powerful. He is a fallen angel. The bad part in our doctrine is we have placed God which just would represent God and the devil at the very same. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He, he flees at the very word of Jesus. 
believer. Respect him? Absolutely. And by the way, if you open doors to things in your life, don't think that he might come with ten things coming at you. So you better know darn well what you're dealing with in spiritual warfare. But bold prayers, we need some bold prayers in this church today. I hate funeral prayers, don't you? What I mean by that is someone's going through a rough time. Oh, Lord, it's poor John. Oh, help John. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how he's going to get through it. Oh, my gosh. Wasn't that so uplifting, John? (laughs) Heathens today go through empty rituals. Heathens today go through New Age channeling, seeking a voice through fortune tellers and seers. Some look to the power of horoscopes. Some try talking to spirits of the dead. And by the way, if you've done that or have been engaged in any of that sort of thing, I want you to say today, if you have any of those kind of power, spiritual things in your life, get those things out. You want to know the future? Get into the Word of God. If you've gone to fortune tellers in your life, I challenge you to say this, and it's really simple. You can actually say, God, I am dedicating my life to you. I am getting out of that because some of you have determined your steps based on the horoscope section of the Rockford Register Star. You've reduced your life to a fortune cookie. I remember when I was a kid, went over to my friend's house and they had the Ouija board there and they were going to play it. I knew darn well not to mess with that dumb thing. And some of you youth that might go to sleepovers and things like that and they might be playing games like light as a feather and things like Ouija board and they watch it. I am telling you there's power in the demonstration of that spirit. I was probably 12 years old. I called my mom. Young person realized this. You don't have to subjugate yourself to nothing. If you feel uncomfortable with something, you get out of Dodge. You don't have to like it if you feel uncomfortable with it. I don't care if you're the most unpopular person. There was tons of people there. I went in the other room. I said, Mom, can you come pick me up? They're starting to play with Ouija boards. She said, absolutely. She came right there. We didn't have some kind of speech. We just left it. And I said, thank you. Have a good day. Guys, I'll see you later. I didn't have to give them some kind of speech. Saying, Ouija boards are a sin. Listen, heathen are going to do what heathen are going to do. Can I get an amen? But I didn't need to be an adult in order to say that's wrong and I'm walking away from it. Bold prayers in our life. There was no voice for these heathen. Watch what Elijah does. Let's turn real quick back to 1 Kings 18 and verse 36. It's getting good in here, isn't it? First Kings 18 and 36, and at the usual time for offering in the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God. This was his prayer in Israel, and then I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And guess what happens? Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, 
and the dust. It burned everything up. You know, further on in that chapter, we're not going to be able to touch on that in this moment because it was about the rain and there was a huge drought that happened. And in prayer and in our life, sometimes we go through seasons of drought and, and we're wondering why hasn't God answered this and answered that. Elijah sent the servant back seven times before the prayer was answered. He said, send him back. Go back one more time. 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 You say, man, I've got loved ones not walking with the Lord. So what? Well, I've got problems with the kids here. So what? If you've got any problems in your life right now, can I get a show of hands here if there's any problems in your life? Okay, so you've got problems, but you have solutions too. And the problem is we focus so much on the problem that we forget that one of the greatest solutions that we will ever have in life is not coming from here trying to convince people and grab people and manipulate people, but we can have power through the prayers, the, the righteous prayer, of a, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails. I believe this, my little Steve Diddy here, stop complaining and start proclaiming. Stop complaining and start proclaiming to that. My mom, when I had seizures, I started to have a seizure in 1997. I was a junior. And we were going through all the EKGs, EEGs, trying to figure stuff out. And it was a pretty scary time for me. But I know one thing that my mom did with that is she put the MRI of my brain. She has my brain under her bed. Isn't that crazy? That's the problem, folks. I'm blaming it on my mom. No. But these images under her mattress, and she held on to them, and she said, Steve, someday that scar on your brain is going to be gone. I'm praying for that promise so that you can have this as a testimony that Jesus would be healing you someday. Amen. Go back again. Go back again. Go back again. See, we take no for an answer too soon. We say, well, this must be. This must be. One thing you can start to do with your loved ones, maybe it's your home when your loved ones aren't there, you've had battles with them, you're concerned with where they are spiritually. You know one thing you can do? I, I challenge you to do this. Go in their room and pray in their room. When you're cleaning and you realize you can clean the room too, how many of you clean your kids' room? You're like, oh my gosh, this is a dirty room. We gotta clean the room. But when you're in there, just take a moment and have a spirit of praise and say, Lord, I just pray that whatever Johnny's going through, Lord, I pray that you would help him through that, Lord. Whatever he's facing, the fears, Lord, the, the attacks at school, Lord, I thank you that greater is he that is in he, them than he that is in the world. God, I bless this room in Jesus' name. And I bind the enemy that would attack him in his body and try to cause fear and depression and worry and doubt. See, you can do something. You forgot that your greatest weapon in achieving things for Christ is prayer. We forgot that the greatest thing we could do is with boldness and with confidence go into the throne room of grace and deal with that situation and bring it right to the throne room of grace and have victory. Victory over the enemy? Start saying, devil, you can't have their mind. Devil Christ won the victory for them. Pray over their pillows. 
Pray over their dreams. One of the things we always do is we pray over our kids' dreams. See, the thing of it is, in our subconscious levels, when we're in our deep rims, you can't run from the Lord. See, you thought you could enclose yourself away from the Lord. See, someone can pray for you and say, Lord, speak to them in their dreams. Remember, Samuel wasn't, quote, a disciple. His mom had dedicated him. But the Bible says that Samuel did not know the Lord yet. And all of a sudden, Samuel is hearing the voice of God. It's because his mom dedicated him. You can rededicate your kids. It's not just a cute little thing with a picture when they have their dress up here and we do a baby dedication. You can dedicate your 18-year-old right now to the Lord. You know that? You can dedicate your 25-year-old to the Lord. You can say, Lord, I, I dedicate him right now to you, God. Lord, I just pray if he doesn't have salvation and know you in his heart of hearts, Lord, I thank you that you and your household shall be saved. Lord, I am claiming that promise. I think one of the greatest stories we're going to see is with Margaret. I think that's Margaret's life first. It seems like everything that Margaret gets encountered with with people, people start exploding and hearing about Jesus because of that. You and your household shall be saved. If you don't know Margaret, she's going to drag you somewhere with it. Bold speech. This is the tough one. Because how many know you can pray in private, but now when you have to be in public with your friends and stuff, that's a tough place to be. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. By the way, all of us, they said the greatest fear that people have in the world is public speaking. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They, they proclaimed this Peter and John that were standing before the council said there's no salvation in anyone else. So by the way, if you think there's many ways to heaven, you're going to have to throw this verse out of the Bible as well. There is no salvation in anyone else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Is that pretty clear? The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. And scriptures, and they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So we have ordinary men, which means that these weren't some crazy theological trained people, and we have men who didn't have any special training. And they're coming before the council, and they are saying some amazing things about the glory of God and salvation. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Your speech will start to come out when you allow God to fill you with boldness and you say things to people that you wouldn't say on your own. How many of you have ever said something to someone and you go, well, that was really spirit-directed. I never would have normally done that. Anybody ever done that? You're just like, where did that come from? That was the spirit. The other week, this last week, I was working with one of my guys. He started talking to me about some stuff with his relationships and things like that. And I just basically started giving him some stuff. And I didn't even ask him for permission. I said, started giving him some things and talking to him. I'm like, dude, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't even ask you. Did you want my opinion? That's one thing you want to do, too, when you're talking to people, is ask them if they want your opinion. If they don't want your opinion, folks, you need to be a gentleman and a gentle lady and just say, you know what, God, I want to help. Maybe give me another opportunity some other day. Sometimes you water. 
And sometimes you plant seed, but it's God who provides the increase in the first place. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity to speak, and it's okay. But one thing that people will start to realize is that they'll realize that you and I have been with Jesus. That's really neat. Boldness, by the way, is not something you always have. John Piper writes, Boldness is not constant or taken for granted. We must keep praying for it whenever we need it. Even the Apostle Paul experienced this, and this is why he asked the Ephesians to pray that he may declare the gospel boldly as he ought to speak. Boldness is not an option for us, but it is also not a given. Since it's not a constant gift of the Spirit, we must pray for boldness frequently. How many need boldness today? Folks, I've got to tell you, there are times where I'm writing the message and I'm writing it. You know, we don't have the biggest church in the world, so everybody knows everybody. And it's hard when I'm writing things. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to... Nobody wants to offend anyone, do they? But I know there are Sundays that I'm going to offend someone. Either directly or indirectly. But my prayer is, is that the Word of God will allow me to speak into people's lives and that I'm not a people pleaser, but that I am a God pleaser. Have you been cowering in the corner? Boldness is not an option for you. John Bloom writes this, but we should not think every time boldness is required, we will feel some heroic swell of confidence, because usually it's not. God often gives us spirit and power of boldness when in spite of feeling fear, we step out in faith, and that the spirit will provide the measure of boldness we need in that moment. He gives some scripture references, and I'm going to just blaze these real quick. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly when the Jews publicly reviled them. In Iconium, they were vigorously reposed, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. In Ephesus, Apollos spoke boldly in the synagogue. In Ephesus, Paul taught in the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Caesarea, when Paul was in prison, he spoke boldly to King Agrippa. And the last thing we know about Paul is that while under house arrest in Rome, he went on proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Pretty amazing. So often we are filled with self-doubt and fear about over what people might think, say, or feel. Folks, I want to tell you today, you need to speak the truth to people and speak the truth in love. In fact, you need to not worry about so much what you're going to say, but just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because the more you think about something, the more you're going to give yourself reasons not to talk about it. Matthew 10, 19 and 20 says, It's not you who are speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Sandra, if you want to get up here and start playing. I want to tell you today in your speech that you might have to say some hard things to some people around you that they might not agree with. You might have to be bold as a lion and take courage regarding some pretty scary stuff for your life right now. You might have some situations that God is saying, I want you to speak into that. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to kind of put your foot into it. You know, when the priest went to the water, it was at flood stage, and he had the priest with no weapons or anything or no digging entrenchment tools. He simply had them put their feet into the water. And it wasn't a cute little beach time. This was at flood stage, and it could have taken them out. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? Today is about boldness. 
And we live in a world right now that needs bold Christians in America. We need a world right now that Christians would start to use their voice and the things of God and to bless people. We need people who would be bold enough to stand and say, you know what, I want to pray for healing for that person. We need to have people who see that someone who is bound by the enemy speak deliverance through the power in the name of Jesus Christ. We need those 72 people back. With every head bowed and every eye closed, dear believer, we're going to do two things here first. Is raising that hand for the acknowledgement that I need boldness. Wait for a moment. But then also, I want to pray over you. I want to lay hands on you today physically and pray that a spirit of boldness fill you and that the Holy Spirit would give you boldness for what it is that God is showing to you that you need boldness for. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Today, that's you, and you know very specifically where and what it is and that you've been filled with fear and that fear has put you in a prison. And boldness is the furthest thing from your life. And you say, Lord, I I need boldness. Today, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand real quick in your response to the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to pray today, just really specific, a real short prayer, that God fill you with boldness. And it's a confidence not given by men. It's not a confidence that is taught in school. But it's a confidence from the Spirit of Christ for you to be an overcomer in what you are facing in Jesus' name. Today, those of you who said, you know what, I want boldness, I want you to come up here and I just want to pray a real simple prayer of boldness over you right now as we anoint you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just pray right now for Tess. And Lord, I just thank you that you've given her the mind of Christ. And Lord, whatever it is that she has been afraid of, God, I just pray that you would fill her with a God type of confidence, that she wouldn't rely on her own strength and her own understanding. But Father, as she acknowledges you in this moment, Lord, I thank you that you fill her afresh with the Holy Spirit's power and boldness like she's never had before. God, I pray that you would fill her with your fire, Jesus, and so that she can have a spirit of Elijah that's unapologetic and God willing to speak and willing to love and willing to say things, God, in the moment, God, that are not from her, but are from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for John. And Lord, I anoint my brother in Jesus' name. And thank you that you are giving him a spirit of boldness. Again, a confidence, God, that doesn't come from the hands of men or taught by men but, Lord, are given to you and given by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall upon him and fill him afresh, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for these broad shoulders that this man has. And, Lord, I thank you that today he falls into the broad shoulders of you, Jesus. Just fill him afresh with boldness from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you. 
that you are here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we just thank you for my brother Nate. And Lord, I just pray that you fill him with boldness and with a confidence that does not come from men, but that comes from above and comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, the places and spaces that you take him to, Lord Jesus, they might be dark for the moment, but Lord, I thank you that the light of the gospel goes forth and that lives are changed forever. Lord, we pray an anointing and a special blessing over him right now in Jesus' name. That God, you give him a boldness to speak, Lord Jesus, where no one's spoken. And a voice to say and proclaim where a voice has not been spoken. Where God, we have tried other things and we've danced on other things and we've done other things and it hasn't worked. And God, I pray that it would be like a voice in the wilderness crying aloud and spare not. Lord, I thank you for that and for the times and the seasons, Lord. And the simple little moments, Lord Jesus, I pray and thank you that you give him hands and that you give him feet and that you give them eyes to see victory down the road and ears to hear the pains and the struggles and Lord, not be hindered by those things but those things drive more deep prayer and more deep faith. We thank you for boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for my sister Anita and Lord, I thank you for the bold prayers that have gone forth, Lord Jesus, on many people's behalf as a result of her faith and standing in the gap. And Lord Jesus, I declare to her as she has stood in the gap for people, you stand in the gap for her. And that her very tears and the burdens that she's carried, Father, have not gone unseen. And Lord, I thank you for breakthrough. I thank you for breakthrough. I thank you, God, that she didn't just go and turn one time, but she goes two times and three times and four times and five times and six times and seven times and eight times and nine times and ten times. And we pray for boldness and strength for her to see some things that no one else has seen. Visions. Thank you that you will be giving her some visions, Lord. And you will be giving her insights that no one else has. And I thank you, God, for touching her in Jesus' mighty name with a spirit of boldness so that she can run through a troop and jump over a wall. And the walls that have been up before, that have been banged up against and chipped, and yet not have fallen, shall come down. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you for my sister Paulette, and I pray a blessing over her of boldness. And Lord of confidence, Lord, she has been through so many different things. And Lord, in this recent journey, I thank you, God, that you have never let her hand go. And God, you have carried her. Even though you go through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And Lord, I just thank you today that any fear, any worry of the enemy conquering, God, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that she has victory in you. 
And Lord, I thank you that even through the challenges and what might seem as lack of progress, Lord, I thank you that you are our progress. And I thank you, Father, today for your Holy Spirit that fills her and that will give her a strength that she hasn't seen in a bit. And Lord, I thank you for filling her with holy boldness to speak into people's life truth that may hurt, but will also provide healing. And we thank you, God, that all things work together for those who are called according to your purpose. I thank you for the greater good. And as a result of that, God, we can stand confidently and be filled with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you for Matthew. Means gift of God, and as he raised his hand back there, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the boldness and confidence that you give to him. And God, for the prayer that he prays, Lord Jesus, mighty, powerful prayers, Lord, I thank you that as a result of that demonstration, God, healing comes to people's lives because of his voice. Lord, I thank you for his voice. God, I thank you for his spirit. I thank you, God, for his attitude towards you, and that, God, he sees things, God, that we don't see. And God, I pray that you fill him with a holy, holy boldness. And God, I thank you for the gifts. And as a result of his testimony and who he is, Lord, many people's lives have been affected. In Jesus' name, fill him with boldness. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for my brother Ted. And Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as he walks, and God, as you fulfill every step in his journey, Lord Jesus, I just thank you that he can have all confidence and understanding and know, God, that no matter how committed he becomes, Lord Jesus, to you and gets to you, Lord Jesus, you have been fully committed. And Lord Jesus, you have been fully committed to say, what I began in you, I will finish. He who began a good work in you shall complete it. And Lord, I thank you for your commitment to Ted. And God, I pray and thank you that as a result of that commitment to him and what you've established in him, the author and the finisher of his faith, God, I thank you that he can roar like a lion and that he would have boldness like he's never had before. Boldness to speak out like he's never had before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone else need boldness in here today? Now is a good time to get it. Boldness does not come by accident. Boldness does not come until you ask for boldness. And I need boldness on so many different levels of my life. It's unbelievable. And the more I get to know the Lord, the more I realize how much I don't rely on the Lord and I need boldness for stuff. If I could tell you all the things I worry about and all my personal doubts and personal fears, you would think I'm crazy. 
But I just want to tell you today that if you have boldness in the Lord, He's going to give you victory. We've been thinking defeated thoughts and make this time. Now it's time to think victorious thoughts. Now it's time for us to challenge where we're at. I'm going to end with a quick little story, but I think this will help us understanding about it. Not taking no for an answer. i never forget, I was at a Salvation Army event and Ben Carson was speaking. I've told you this before. I said, man, I want to get this guy's autograph. <laughs> he spoke a few years back before he had gone into the presidential race. And I said, I want this guy's autograph. I'm going to bring my book, I'm going to bring my pen, and I'm getting Ben Carson's autograph. All of a sudden, in this restaurant, see a people surround him, and I'm like, well, there's no official line. Nobody told me where to get in line. I'm not getting in line. I'm getting around the line. <laughs> you guys can all stand there, but nobody told you where to stand, right? There's no usher telling me where to go. I'm not waiting for that mess. Went all the way around, and I ran right into him. So he was standing this way. And I, I came all the way around. The door was this way. And he started going there. And there I was standing there. <laughs> I got his autograph. I was probably one of ten people that was able to even have a personal impact with him. Got his autograph. I'm going to tell you something today. Ben Carson, ben Carson pales in comparison to God. Trust me. But I want you to know that you don't have to wait for the sea of people that you think are ahead of you. I, I think about the man that was at the, at the pool of Bethesda. And he said... And every time the angel stirs, someone else gets ahead of me. I'm not asking you that. I didn't ask you why. I asked you, do you want to be healed? I don't want your reasons for why the healing didn't come. So today, let's not give reasons why God can't work. And let's give God opportunities to work and have a plan of boldness. Amen. I'm done. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today for refreshing us. Thank you today for your presence, God. We thank you today for a spirit of boldness. We are all challenged with this. And just help us, God, with what we're facing, because it can be scary. We need you, Jesus. And we need your boldness, so that when we appear before men and women in our life that we're afraid of, God, that you are the one to speak, not us. And we pray, God, that this church will be a church that demonstrates boldness in the neighborhood and boldness in the things we do, and boldness in how we love, and boldness for how we care for the pains and problems of the people. Help us, Lord, not to have a spirit like James and John who wanted to call down fire like Elijah. Jesus had to say to them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Help us to have a boldness that's different than just stepping on everyone. Help us to have a boldness, Lord Jesus, to be gospel givers, good news givers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're all done. Have a very bold week.